Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Dogcast Radio. Coming up in this show, we have an interview with a trainer who adopted a rescue dog to retrain and rehome. But of course, things don't always go as planned, do they? Severe separation anxiety, I think, is what landed her in the shelter. She had been adopted out twice and returned twice because every time people left, she would scream and cry. And that was certainly my experience when she came here. We also have the Dogcast Radio News and some TV shows appealing for your participation. But before all that, we have our Crufts coverage. Crufts 2010 had a new sponsor, the sofa company DFS. And in the show ring, the emphasis was on health. But what appeals to me about Crufts is all the unusual and interesting dog-related stories that emerge. One that was attracting a lot of attention was a mongrel who'd been dead for over 400 years. To find out more, I spoke to Rear Admiral John Lippiet. Well, I think this is unique. We have a 467-year-old dog at Crufts. Wow. Yes, it is a wow. I think it's a first, and it's certainly uh, top of the class, because in, in age, if nothing else here, it's uh, the mongrel from the May Rose. It, it came up uh, from the wreck of the May Rose, which sank in 1545. We know it's between 18 months old and two years old. We don't know what breed it is, so, you know, it's the wonderful we're here with the experts in the premier dog exhibition in the world, the dog show, and to actually understand what, what, what it is. So we're asking visitors come to this in Hall 3, Stand 56, with the library and collections to actually tell us more about it. Um, she stands, it's the sheep, a bitch, stands 47, 48 centimetres tall, and it's about 99% complete there. And people just look at it and don't believe it's the genuine skeleton. They think, you know, it's a plastic replica. It's not. And this ship was the only female on board the the crew of the Mary Rose, we raised over 500 things from the Mary Rose, from inside, sorry, we raised over 20,000 things from the Mary Rose, uh, including the ship's dog. So it gives us the finest insight into life 500 years ago that there is anywhere in the world. So looking back, we've got the sailors' possessions, we've got the sailors' clothes, their their work equipment, their private possessions, we've got their knit combs, we've got their knits, (laughs) but we've got the dog, and we call it Hatch. Um, because it was found in and out of a cabin with a sliding door, like a hatch and uh, so that's why we've named it and you'll see the colouring of it there Uh, some is dark and that was what was inside the cabin and and it decayed in a slightly different way Um, so we can in the future I mean the Mary Rose is a wonderful detective story because we're still learning and she came up 27, 28 years ago Um, we have been conserving her ever since Uh, this whole thing is to raise the awareness of the wonderful project that is the Mary Rose. We have the Mary Rose 500 appeal, so www.maryrose500.org, and people can read all about it, can see Hatch on our website, can see it on Facebook. So, uh, you know, Hatch is on Facebook as well, and Twitter and blogs and, and so on. So, And we're recruiting a new crew of 500. 500 sailors and soldiers died on board the Mary Rose, together with the dog, and we're trying to recruit a new crew to look after it. And if every 
every dog lover in the country was to give us just a pound, my goodness me, we will be we are building a new museum for her. She will go back into the current temporary exhibition, which is is there with only six percent of our collection until we build a new museum when we put over sixty percent of the uh, contents of the Mary Rose. So that will open in 2012. Meantime, people go to Portsmouth Historic Dockyard and see Hatch, but come here first to DFS Crafts and meet Hatch face to face, literally face to face. So although she's from the 1600s, 1500s, 1500s, 1545. She's bang up to date with all this uh, technology. Oh, I mean, she is a very technical dog. Yeah. Yes, but I think she's the only one like this in the world. She is a sea dog. I mean, when I joined the Navy 40 plus years ago, we had a ship. I served in a ship the same size as Mary Rose with a crew of only about 25. This had over 500 on board, but we had a dog in those days yeah. at sea. So that tradition had gone on well over um, 400 years, you see. So it doesn't happen now so much. No, I was going to say that was going to be one of my next questions. What was she doing on the boat, on the ship? Well, I believe she was a terrier, a sort, and after rats. So she was the ratter. Um, she'd also been the ship's pet because sailors love dogs, and they always have done. Uh, and so there's a long tradition of that. But, yeah, no, she'd be there. We've got a few rat bones, but, of course, rats were much smaller, so they could swim away. And rats leaving a sinking ship actually uh, comes to mind when you have the Mary Rose sinking in 1545. Yeah. yeah it's an amazing story, and it's a detective story in Mary Rose. What we're learning now, we'll be able to look at the DNA of this. It's the first time we've reconstructed it like this, so the first time the public have been able to see it. But in the future, scientists, and we've got someone here today uh, who wants to make a facial reconstruction, a scientifically orientated facial reconstruction. We've done that with some human skeletons to see what they look like, what the faces of men look like, but now we can do it see what the dog look like. But do come and see it, all, all your listeners and all your son. Come and support our appeal, please, but also come and meet the dog, Hatch from the Mary Rose. The unique dog. Unique indeed. That's a fascinating story, and it would be lovely to catch up with Hatch's story later on to see if the experts can establish what mix of breeds she was. Buddy and I were at Crufts as part of the Safe and Sound scheme. Here's Heidi Lawrence, one of the Kennel Club's education managers, to explain what the scheme is all about. The Safe and Sound scheme is about the protection of children and dogs. It's a scheme that's designed to help children stay safe around dogs and to protect dogs uh, in the home environment and uh, in the public to make sure they stay safe when they're around children. And how do you get that message across? It's all through education. Uh, We uh, we have an interactive website, uh, we do displays, we have literature that the Kennel Club provides um, for parents and for children. So it's looking after the dog and the children that we, both sides, we really need to educate. And what are sort of the main points of the scheme? Well, there's there's three main positions that we promote. The safe and sound hello, which is always asking permission from the owner before we stretch the dog. And then when the owner gives us permission, we put it at the back of our hand, we allow the dog to sniff the back of our hand and then touch the dog gently under the chin. That's one of the, one of the main points. Yeah. We also have the tree and the stone. So if we're not if we're playing in the garden or playing in the park and we're knocked over by an exuberant dog, um, we obviously we just drop everything in our hands. We cross our arms across our chest. We become what we call the safe and sound tree. And if we're actually knocked over, uh, we become a stone. So we actually tuck our arms and legs underneath us. We wrap up like a ball um, and we uh, wait for the dog uh, to actually go away or the owner to get the dog. And that's the safe and sound stone. So there are three key messages. Which it's actually sort of counterintuitive you think if a dog comes towards you or run so it's really important to get that message across isn't it definitely don't scream don't shout don't run away Um, you stand still if you're you're a tree you act boring or you you curl up like a ball because it's actually the non-movement that actually
actually, you know, it's unexciting to a dog, and therefore the dog is not, not interested in you, and the dog will go away. Yeah, and do you know the website address? Absolutely. Off the top of my head, <laughs> it's www.safeandsoundaroundDogs.org.uk. The Safe and Sound team performing at Crufts was made up of adults, dogs, and children. I talked to a very important member of the team, Emily Hilton, who was the child who worked with Buddy most in the display. So, just what did Emily do? I did the the second scene with Buddy, where he was jumping up at me, and I had to feed him under the table. And I did car, where you have to put your fingers through the bars and say, "Oh, look, look, look at these beautiful doggies!" And one of them was Buddy. <laughs> and then I did knockover, which wasn't with Buddy, sadly. <laughs> and um, and what you did there is the dog jumped up at a person and then we all went to the floor and tried to remember to face the audience. Yes. There's a lot of things to remember, aren't Yes, yes, a lot. So, because you have to remember to face the audience and then you've got to do... There's various positions you've got to show, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. There's the safe and sound ask or hello, whatever you want to call it. And there's the tree and the stone. Yes. And um, what was your favourite bit? I think it's the kitchen lounge scene, really. Because I like because I like doing it because I like the dog jumping up at my arm. Yes. <laughs> and there's a really important message behind the safe and sound scheme, isn't there, Emily? So what's what's a really important thing to remember when you're around dogs that you don't know and they don't know you? Don't shove your hand right up above his head. Always ask the owner because they might say that your that their dog might bite or is very aggressive, or they might only want you to stroke it in certain places. And then you and then if they say yes, you you give out a loose fist for the dog to sniff. Remember loose because if it's tight, they might think you're going to punch them. Um, and then tickle under the chin because they can see your hand down there and slowly start stroking them in different places. Emily and Buddy developed a mutual appreciation society and they have a beautiful friendship. She was a great handler and worked him very well during the display. You can see video of the Safe and Sound team in action as well as photos and biographies of all the team dogs on the Dogcast Radio site. There are some amazing stories at Crufts, and I found one on Mark Abraham's The Pet.net stand when I talked to Samantha of Rudosum Street Dog Rescue. We rescue the street dogs in the south of Bulgaria. Um, it's in the Greek border. Lots of street dogs there. It's a small town. So we take in all the dogs, try and find them living homes abroad. We take them off the streets, and at the moment we don't have a shelter, so we are doing it all from our own house and garden. And then we try and find them homes. Once they're adopted, we send them over to Holland or Germany. So this is a problem that you've become aware of within your own neighbourhood? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, how many stray dogs are there? Um, probably that we know of a couple of hundred easily just in a small town and then there's hundreds more that we don't know about that or that are living in the forests and yeah and, and why why are they there how do they get there a lot of people struggling to feed them the lack of money the low income so as soon as they find their dogs are expecting a litter of pups they throw them out onto the streets then the pups are born into the 
streets and move on into the forest, become scared of people, and nobody takes them in, so it just carries on. So it's a huge problem. So how many dogs have you got in, in the house and garden at the moment? At the moment, over 30. Over 30 in the house and garden at the moment. And about two weeks ago, I think it was 14, went to Holland. We have a website um, that people can have a look at, and we have an adoption team in Holland. And then anybody who is interested in adopting a dog, then they can let us know, fill in a questionnaire, and have a look at the dogs that we have at the moment. And then once they're adopted, then we'll transport them to Holland. And then some, some dogs have gone into foster care that are yeah. hopeful to be adopted. I was going to say, when they, if, particularly if they've been born on the street, you know, do they go on to make good pets? Yeah, it takes, sometimes it takes a while for them to gain trust again. But, yeah, everyone that I've came across has always been loving and caring and affectionate. So, yeah. I think it's always amazing, particularly when they've been in that kind of situation. They give us, as a species, they give humans another yeah. chance. Don't they? They're so forgiving. Some of the dogs have been beaten, shot, it's awful. But after a while, you know, a little bit of love and care and they're fine. Yeah. It takes a while, but it's worth it. Yeah, I'm sure. What's the website address? It's www.streetdogrescue.com. Changing the world one street dog at a time. Never be told that one person can't make a difference. You can. Now, streets and dogs were the subject of the next interview, but in a completely different way. I interviewed Leslie Reese from Driving With Dogs. Driving With Dogs is the website for when you're travelling with your dogs in the car. Clearly the driving is you, not the dog. Yep. <laughs> and the idea is that you have somewhere to take the dog for a 35 to 45 minute walk as part of your journey. So instead of going from A to B, you can go to A via a walk, a dog friend, a cafe and a pub, and then on to B, especially if you're going to shows where A might be Edinburgh and B might be Plymouth. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing, because when you don't know where you're going, it's right, you know all the walks in your area, but when you're going somewhere you don't know, that's when, you know, and you, you've got to give them a bit of exercise. That's really great. Yeah, I mean, it's not only the dogs. A lot of people say they can put the dog in the car and it'll wake up 800 yeah. miles later. But actually, it's driver safety as well, because a tired driver, it's a dangerous driver. So if you stop and you know where you can park, you know it's safe for women, actually, and dogs, because I actually check the walks out myself with our colleague, then you know that it's a good place to go. You can relax, you can stretch those legs, get those veins dethrombed and all that sort of thing. And... um, you know, and you're healthier and safer. Yeah, yeah. And you were telling me there's, there's a walk swap feature on the website. Yeah, the, the non-motorway walks are walks all over the UK and Ireland, Germany and France a little bit. We're just starting yeah. that off. And um, the idea is that you put on the walks that you know really well that are great for dogs and then people coming to your area can look at your walks and think, oh, that's great, you know, I'll go and do that too. And then if you come over to, for example, Sherwood Forest, where I live, yeah. then... You know, there's some really brilliant places there too. You're away from the tourist areas, you're in the doggy people's places, and that's just great. Okay, brilliant. So before you go on a journey or a holiday in the UK, mm-hmm. check out drivingwithdogs.co.uk. Well, of course, when you are on a walk with your dog, there inevitably comes the time when you have to scoop the poop. And at Crufts, we saw a fantastic gadget for helping you do just that. The Poopster, as demonstrated by Richard Glynn. Poopster is the world's first 
one push poop scoop. It picks, it packs, it contains and it carries. Uh, and we're having a lot of fun demonstrating all the uh, unique benefits. We think it's the best in the world because it does so much. It's portable, it has multi-poop capacity, <laughs> so you can include more than one poop. Um, it also has a, you can pick up without bending over. Some people don't like to bend over, but more importantly, the big deal is that um, some dog owners do not like the feel of dog poop. They don't like the feeling with it inside the bag, and, and this alleviates all of that. For yeah, them. yeah. I mean, there is a yuck factor, which I guess is why so much of it is yeah. left around, which is annoying. Yeah. But with something like this, as you say, it's, it's, as, it's the least distasteful it could be. <laughs> well, we hope so. Um, yeah. And also, it means that um, with the, um, the people don't like carrying it. The other thing is that they tie the knot in the bag, and conscientious dog owners should be applauded for this. They tie the knot in the bag, and they're swinging from the leads, and they get that faint doggy kind of poo smell aroma. Well, with the poopster, it's, it's contained behind this odour minimising lid, and it comes with a free shoulder strap. I wear it around my waist. There's lots of options to carry it, so your hand's free. So that means you can continue your walk, concentrate on holding the lead, and you don't need to worry about the poop. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds great. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you about is you are here at Crufts offering people, I would imagine, a fairly unusual opportunity or challenge even. So tell us about that. Okay, well, what we find is that no two dogs are alike. Some dogs do lots of poo. Some dogs do lots of poos on a a row. Some of the bigger dogs do really big poos. Uh, Potentially the size of someone's head is the way it's being described, which does worry me about the dog. But um, what we've got is Play-Doh. So if a dog owner feels that they want to challenge us, um, and challenge the poopster in particular to pick up any size of dog poo, any shape of dog poo, then come over to um, all <laughs> three... <laughs> Uh, stand 3 30, and we'd be welcome to take that challenge because no one's beaten us yet. But it has to be really, it has to represent a dog poo. You know, we're not claiming to do elephants, we're not claiming to do, you know, rhinoceroses, but any lie, any, and we'll demonstrate, we'll show you how the poopster can cope with it. We're up to the challenge. And now to round off our Crufts coverage, a story I came across that made me smile and demonstrates just how much a part of our family our dogs really are. To tell her probably unique story, here's Gemma Young. I was toilet trained by my dogs. <laughs> when I did that Well, um, obviously the dogs go out in the garden for a wee, and one day my mum realised that every time they were going out for a wee, I was too. <laughs> so she um, started putting my potty outside, with, and then I'd go out with the dogs and go, go to the loo, and... And then she'd, as, as you train a dog, you sort of put the mat closer to the back door, don't you? Yeah. Um, and then eventually outside, well, she moved my potty closer to the back door and eventually inside, so <laughs> sort of a reverse story. <laughs> You'll find links and photos on the Dogcast Radio site. And we had a great Crufts this year. To be there with my dog, part of it all, and in the main arena too, was wonderful. Now Buddy's had a taste of the bright lights and that green carpet. Who knows what we'll get up to next? Apart from the two world wars, Crufts has only ever been cancelled once, in 1954, due to an electrician's strike. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. 
Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate. And I'm Nick. Dog owners are apparently not as intelligent as cat owners. That's according to a recent study, anyway, which found that cat owners are more likely to have attended university and gained a degree. Researchers at the University of Bristol in the UK interviewed 2,980 people about their pet ownership, geography and educational background and combined their findings with census information. They suggested that some of the reasons that more educated people choose cats might be that they tended to work longer hours, so cats, who don't need to be walked and don't require as much company as dogs, suited them better. However, they also discovered that the numbers of cats and dogs kept as pets in Britain had been underestimated, with the figures being more like 10.3 million cats and 10.5 million dogs, rather than the previously suggested 7.2 million cats and 7.3 million dogs. Did you know that the music you listen to could be distressing your dog? Apparently the very high and low frequency sounds that are created by normal speakers may hurt your dog's sensitive ears, even though you can't actually hear them. The result can be a stressed out dog. But now, for the first time, owners can buy a music system which filters out those frequencies harmful to dogs. Usefully, my pet speaker has a control panel at the rear to avoid dogs accidentally knocking the buttons. It also has a stable base design to prevent easy knockdown by pets and will set you back around $250. And on the subject of buying things for your dog, how much does your dog's collar cost? Well, we're willing to bet that it didn't cost anywhere near as much as a collar that used to belong to the dog of author Charles Dickens. The leather and brass collar was inscribed with Dickens' name, and when it was auctioned in New York City, it fetched an amazing $11,590. US That's around about £7,340 sterling. And here's another thing we're willing to bet, that the collar will not be being used to walk any dogs. Which may be just as well because dogs can have trouble out on walks. Two dogs recently had brushes with crime while out and about. In Brooklyn, poor 10-year-old West Highland Terrier Lexi had his coat stolen while he was left outside a shop by his owner. Donna McPherson said that the stolen coat had cost around $25, and she was glad he hadn't been wearing his expensive Burberry coat. But just how low do you have to be to steal the coat off a dog's back? Meanwhile, in County Durham, UK, Paul Railton found himself in court because of the manner in which he walked his lurcher. Was his dog out of control? Did he fail to scoop the poop? Well, no, unbelievably, he was spotted by police driving down a country lane, holding his dog's lead out of the open window, while the poor animal trotted along beside the car. Deservedly, Railton was given a number of fines and lost his driving licence for six months. And finally, if you intend to break the law... Beware of having too good a relationship with your dog. A man on the run from the police in Cologne, Germany, hid in a cupboard in his friend's house. However, when officers visited the property, the Jack Russell dog led them straight to the cupboard hiding his master, and the man was taken into custody. Well, maybe that's a warning to criminals to stick to cats. And that's all from us on the Dogcast News Desk. Goodbye. The Greyhound, German Shepherd Dog, Fox Terrier, Labrador Retriever, English Setter and Standard Poodle have each won Crufts three times. Dee Green of Balanced Dogs took on rescue dog Miley with the aim of retraining and rehoming her.
I asked her, how did she know about Miley in the first place? I had a client who had called me because they had taken in a dog from a rescue, little, I would say, Terry Poo mix. Um, and this was a first time client. They called me because the dog had bitten their daughter on the face. She's, she was 10, I think, yeah. and had bitten her very near her eye. Um, oh, and she had had immediate surgery and all sorts of things. And they didn't immediately give up. They, you know, tried to, to see if there was something they could do, but it was severe enough of a bite that, that they, called around and then someone recommended they call me and so I went over and met with them and basically my my assessment was I didn't think the dog was incorrigible I thought they could work with it but it would require a very different relationship with him than that family was prepared for and there was a lot of work and so forth involved um, that just was going to make it impossible for them because they were planning to move from Los Angeles to Paris approximately oh, wow. eight weeks after this all happened. So they ended up sending the dog back to the rescue and I found Miley through a search on the internet of the Los Angeles shelters as a possible um, adoptee for them. Uh, everything that I read about her led me to think that she was good I went to an adoption event and met her and thought she was absolutely fantastic. Um, they thought she would probably work as well. And so uh, because she was at a uh, you know public shelter where she could be adopted at any point and or you know possibly euthanized if they ran out of space, so it rarely happens with the little dogs, um, I decided to take her from the, the adoption event that day, I adopted her on their behalf pending our meeting. And once we met and they were fond of her, but they had by that point come to the conclusion that it was just too much in their life to take on a dog and move. Yeah. So that's yeah. how she came to me. Right. Right. So, I mean, what issues did Miley have then? Severe separation anxiety, I think, is what landed her in the shelter. The story, I'm close with some of the shelter staff, and the story they gave me was she had been adopted out twice and returned twice because every time people left, she would scream and cry. And that was certainly my experience when she came here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I immediately set about crate training her, Hmm. and I have um, another foster here, who's a Staffordshire Terrier mix, Mm. who I also crate whenever I'm not home for the same reason, because he's got severe anxieties. Um, And so uh, first I crate trained him for a couple of weeks by herself, and then I began crating her with him. And the two of them are the best of friends, I'll have you know. She's all of 10 pounds. She (laughs) probably weighs less than his head does. And they are just, they're inseparable. They're constantly playing. When you, the two of them are napping during the day, she'll be curled up in his belly. He'll have his uh-huh. arms wrapped around her. It's the cutest thing in the world. And being crated together has been a godsend for both of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's completely transformed her behavior and being alone. Though I don't know that she would be happy if she were the only dog in the home. I think she's the kind of dog that's always going to need dog companionship. 
Um, but other than that, I really had almost no problems with Miley from the beginning. Yeah. House training took about two days. She's, she's a Jack Russell mix as far as I can tell. So she's quite smart, picks on training very easily. Um, I do still have a bit of a struggle with her on when we meet other dogs until she gets a chance to get up close and meet them. Yeah. She yeah. can bark quite a bit and get very excited. So we're still working on that. Yeah, but her yeah. main problem, the reason she wound up in the shelter, um, the, the reason she was returned to the shelter, I think, was the, the separation anxiety. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is something that's very hard to deal with because it's hard to deal with something when you can't be there at the time. You know, it doesn't happen when you're there. Yeah. So how do you deal with it? Yes. Yeah. And I, it's something that people find very distressing. Uh, And if you're living in close quarters, many neighbors find very distressing. And and so people have the added pressure of the neighbors aren't happy, you know, because the dog is screaming and crying. Unfortunately, in most cases, uh, in my opinion, people give puppies much too much freedom, thinking of it as freedom. The dogs think of it as overwhelming. And so if you don't crate train from the beginning and or just use a small area of the home where the dog can be confined when you're away, then little sounds outside become very frightening. All of that extra space becomes very frightening. The dogs get extremely anxious. Not all of them scream and cry, but many of them tear things up, you know, do lots of destruction, have accidents in the house where they never have accidents when someone's home. Mm. All of these are stress releasers. And so the dog is really just trying to cope with its anxiety, which is born of love because we think, well, we don't want to confine the dog that's horrible and it's cruel. And I, you know, I couldn't disagree more. I think as a a den animal, especially from puppyhood, if you start out giving them a small, comfortable, safe place to be in, you know, big enough so that they're comfortable, but not big enough so that it's overwhelming, then you, you can alleviate a great deal of that sort of anxiety when they are alone. Uh, and, and I think then the other thing is, you know, the dogs don't have enough mental or physical stimulation, a lot of them, so that when you're gone, you know, all of that pent-up energy that should be released has not been released, and it only adds to the anxiety that's natural because dogs are pack animals. They aren't born to be solo creatures. Mm. Uh, and, and I think very few of them want to live lives as solo creatures. You meet the odd dog that really doesn't seem to care about other dogs, but the vast majority of them, in my experience, are much better when they have at least one other canine companion in their world. Yeah, and, uh, so, and it's, it's a lot of fun for the owner. You know, we, we had um, my Labrador uh, first, and we had him for three years, and that was great. But then we had um, a Bichon as well, um, and they get on so well, and it's, it's, it's just fascinating to watch them develop their little relationship between yes. themselves. Yes, it's so much fun to watch dogs play. Yeah. And, and, and it's so comforting to me, anyway, to know that they're not sitting at home pining frightened, wondering, you know, what's going to happen to them. They've got someone else there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think most people just immediately assume it's going to be, you know, tremendous amount more work. And I, I don't find that to be the case. I find, you know, it is, there's, you know, double feedings, yes, double walks if you don't walk them together. But beyond that, I, I think they actually reduce my workload by entertaining each other and exercising each other throughout the day. Yeah, 
Yeah. No, I think they can get so much from, from having company. I mean, the other thing that occurred to me as you were talking was we do sometimes project, you know, human feelings onto our animals. And the first, the first, I mean, particularly with crate training, the first time I heard about crate training, I sort of thought, there's no way I'm having a cage for my dog. And it was very much that that feeling then i talked to a friend who'd had a crate and it really worked well for her um Uh tried it with both of us and they loved it it was a positive place and both Uh of them would jump in there and look at you and go well any chance of a treat because i've got in my crate now you know they loved it yeah i i have a funny story where i was um up the pitbull terrier um a version of the staffordshire terrier and the people that had it, it was an only dog, younger couple. Um, they were having a lot of uh, aggression issues toward other dogs that it saw when it was out on walks, toward mailmen, um, things of that nature. So I went into the house, and one of the things I said was, you know, I think the dog is a bit stressed when it's alone. I would recommend crate training. And they said, well, we had a in the beginning for house training, but, you know, I'm not putting my dog in a crate. Or in a box, I think is how she put it. I'm not putting my dog in a box. While we're having this conversation, the wife and I, the husband, sits off to the other room, gets the old crate out of a closet, brings it into the room where we're talking, sets it down. I said, just open the door and walk away. He walked away. By the time his posterior hit the sofa, the dog had gone in the crate and laid down. (laughs) And this is, truthfully, my experience. The dogs find it very comforting. You obviously don't want to put a dog in a crate that's too small, Mm. but if you give them a nice bed and you make it a positive place and they get a treat for going in and or they get a bone to chew on or something that, you know, occupies their time, I think most dogs actually enjoy their crate quite a lot. Yeah. Definitely. And also, I mean, it's a it's a refuge for them. They kind of, you know, if there's yeah. something going on in the house they don't like, you know, they go yeah. to the crate and, and that's their little, it's safety for them. Yes. Yeah. And I think with children, young children in particular and dogs, I think it's essential. I think yeah. there should be an off-limits place where the dog can go and be, and the child knows when the dog's in there, we don't bother the dog. Mm. I think it allows for a much happier relationship when the dog has a way to sort of give itself a time out and say, okay, I've had enough right now. I need some rest. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, initially, uh, you did intend to rehome Miley. Do you still intend to do that? You know, I'm torn at the moment, I have to be honest. And Mm. um, as the weather gets a little better... One of the things I plan to do is do some agility work with her. Mm. If she's a very athletic little dog, uh, and if she takes as well to that as she has sort of standard obedience training, I may in fact keep her as she's a really good demonstration dog. Mm. Um, she's the kind of dog that you can take out and, and people are very drawn to. Uh, and it's a good conversation starter. It's a good way to be able to take a dog out and show other people possibilities. It's a good dog to take if if it works out. She would be a good dog to take to sort of events and, and speaking engagements and things of that nature yeah. because she's such a gregarious little thing. Aww. She's She's just very engaged with other people and with dogs. As long as they're off, she loves them to death. And once she's had a chance to meet them, she always loves them to death. She's a very much an ambassador. The, the Staffordshire Terrier that I mentioned to you earlier had never played with another dog here. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't even know if he wanted to play with other dogs. And he mm-hmm. plays, he's, he's nine years old. He plays almost nonstop with this little <laughs> Jack Russell Terrier mitt. <laughs> it's incredible. She's, she's just that kind of dog. And that's what makes me question whether or not I'm really going to want to rehome her. If the perfect home came along, I would certainly consider it. But at this stage, I just don't know. I, I think that she's very happy here. She does a lot of good work here with the dogs when they come in to stay with us. And um, I think, as I said, she might work out to be a really good demonstration dog who I could take out with me in, in public. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So maybe a failed adoption there, huh? <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting that you say she's um, you, you're doing agility with her and, and she's sort of, you know, you're hoping she takes that well. And obviously with some more... Um, you know, you've mentioned um, activity is good for, for releasing those fears. Um, I did. I went and met some flyball, uh, flyball team. Oh, uh-huh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and several of them were saying, you know, it was a very nervous rescue dog or it had issues with men or, you know, whatever. And just that, the activity, just doing flyball, no behaviour training, nothing like that, just getting that energy out made them so much more, you know, a happy, well-balanced dog. There does seem to be a connection, doesn't there? Absolutely. I would argue that it's not only getting the energy out, it's giving the dog a purpose. And one of the things that I think we inadvertently do to our dogs is we remove their reason for living. Um, you know, dogs were were sort of bred for many, many years, long before they were, most of them, urban house pets. They had a purpose, terriers in particular. And while few of us want to go out and hunt rats or gophers with our dogs anymore, (laughs) the fly ball sort of replaces some of that. It's a very driven, running sort of thing. Um, The dog gets a reward out of it in that it gets to go and physically catch the ball, and then it gets to carry the ball back. There's a lot of that that builds into the instinct of a terrier, and they do really good at it. Obviously, border collies as well, but the terrier groups do very well with flyball yeah, um, yeah. because it gives them a job. And I think, I think if 80% of my clients' dogs had a job, they would never need my services. Yeah. I truly do. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem that, that we completely unintentionally put on our dogs is we take away the very thing that their body was born to do. And the dog, just because you change its living environment, you can't change its DNA. You can't change the dog at a cellular level. So it's our job, in my opinion, as their caretakers uh, and uh, their guardians, is to give them an alternate for for all of that training and and, uh, breeding. Give them an outlet. Give them something to do, whether it's fly ball or it's agility or it's, you know, obedience. Um, There's so much out there today to do with your dogs. Even as, as, as little as getting a backpack for a dog and taking it hiking on a regular basis, the carrying of the pack kicks into that dog's working instinct. Mm. And it focuses dogs, and it, it absolutely will change the nature of the way the dog goes about the hike. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. 
it's it's unbelievable when you have properly adjusted a dog to carrying a backpack and you don't exceed the weight and you you know do all of the things correctly how when you get a dog who's used to carrying a pack how their whole being changes when you put it on them yeah. They're suddenly not jumping around and spinning and, and they're focused and they're just waiting to be led into their activity. It, yeah. It's simply amazing to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you sound as if you, you know you have sort of dogs in your house and you've had them long term, obviously. Was this something yeah. that you'd, you'd done before, sort of taken on a rescue with the intention of, of probably rehoming? Yes, I have. Um a couple that one of mine that I have here it came from a rescue, but he was offered to me because he had bit everyone at the shelter, mm-hmm. and so the alternative was he was either going to be euthanized, or if this rescue would take him, they would allow him to go to this group. The group didn't want to take him because uh, unless he had training immediately, so I offered to take him on. Um. He had been on the streets, as far as as we can tell, for the first several months of his life and was near feral when I got him. And he was only, I think, about five or six months at that point. Mm. Um, uh, Poodle Mix, his hair was literally in dreadlocks all over his body. Uh, He clearly had not ever been groomed professionally Mm. that we could tell. Um, And tried to bite the rescue lady who went to get him at the shelter. Mm. um, he, I took, I took all the time in the world with him, hmm. um, attempting to allow him to come to me on his terms, on his time schedule. And eventually he did and has remained with me because he's still not particularly friendly with new people. And so he's very difficult to adopt out because, you know, he doesn't show that, uh, effusive, uh, enthusiasm for the sight of a stranger that a lot of dogs will. And so people are very skittish about him and, and in turn makes him more skittish about them. Yeah, um, yeah. So I've done that. I've got the staffy here was a situation where uh, they were going to put him in a shelter. Uh, it was a gentleman that had contacted me for training who I ultimately did not work with. And a year after uh, we, I decided not to take on his case. He called me saying that he was either going to take the dog to the shelter or he was going to take him out in the country and just let him go. Oh. Uh, and you can imagine my response. So yeah. I ended up taking him uh, because he is a great dog. Uh, I thought most of the problems there were simple neglect, that it wasn't that the dog needed training. It's that the owner wasn't willing to do the basic minimum to give the dog a decent life. Mm. To be locked up in the home all day, literally 11, 12 hours a day with no chance of going to the bathroom or anything else. Mm. Uh, when he got home, he didn't feel like walking him. Uh, just it was a very, as far as I was concerned, unsuitable home. And, and so it didn't get any better, obviously, in the year between. Um, but my thought was that I could, if I took him in, uh, I might be able to get him a home. And then the financial meltdown happened about a month later uh, mm-hmm. in the world. <laughs> and now, you know, there's at least 20 to 30% more dogs in shelters and rescues than there were a year prior because so many people have lost their homes, lost jobs, can't take care of their pets. Yeah. So that's the only reason he's still with me. I still actively looking for a home for him where I think he would be happier. He'd love to be, you know, just one of two dogs 
somewhere where he's just loved on and all of that, as opposed to having more of a functional role in life. At, at nine years old, he's sort of in retirement. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I have throughout my career, uh, either through a rescue, working with a rescue, or on my own, uh, if I saw a dog in need that I thought I could help, uh, or I saw a dog that I thought I could possibly rehome, um, I've taken them on. Yeah. Uh, I do it on a very small scale basis. It's a one on one thing. I, I'm certainly not oper- operating any kind of a rescue organization or anything yeah. of that nature. Mm. But I find it particularly fulfilling, you know. Um, I have a hard time with the idea of breeding dogs when so many dogs literally lose their lives for want of a home and nothing wrong with them. Yeah. So yeah. I'm very I'm, I'm very partial to rescues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I had a look on your website, and I love the, the statement that you have there. Our goal is to help you have the relationship of your dreams with your best friend as quickly as possible. And I, I think yeah. that's great. Thank you. But that's exactly what it's about for me. Um, a lot of dog trainers, and I don't really refer to myself as a trainer because of this, a lot of dog trainers, it's about getting the animal to perform a behavior based on human commands. And so it's it's more of a performance-oriented relationship. Not saying that they don't love dogs or enjoy being with them, but they think of them in a very different way. I think most people just want to get on with their dogs. I think they just want to have a good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And it's sure nice if the dog will sit on command or stay on command or come on command. But really what people are looking for is a dog that doesn't destroy the house, that certainly doesn't soil the house, that's friendly with people who come over, that doesn't lose its mind when it sees other dogs, and things of that nature. Yeah. So what I try to do is literally work on the relationship as a work on, okay, we're going to teach this dog six or eight commands and we're going to teach you how to heal and how to correct and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. I go into the house. I don't know if, uh, if you've ever seen Caesar Milan's show. Yeah. And I'm not Caesar Milan, <laughs> but I do. I have a lot of the same approaches. I literally go in and I sit down and I ask them to tell me what is it you, what's going wrong and what is it you want. And then that's how we set about uh, constructing whatever work we're going to do together. It's about yeah. the relationship first, and then everything else will fall in line from that, in my experience. Yeah, yeah. I, that makes sense because I don't think it's ever, you know, the dog is the problem or the person is the problem. You know, it, it's that interaction between them is going wrong somehow. So yes. that's what you need to sort, isn't it? Yes, exactly. It's, it, it, there's communication breakdown in most cases and uh, differing expectations in many others. And if you can help everybody, dog, to, to operate on more of a human-urban level, humans operate more on a dog-canine level, yeah. I think you can find a very happy medium the vast majority of the time. Yeah, yeah. Dee, you've said many interesting things. If people want to find out more about you, what's the website they should go to? It's balanceddogs.com. Brilliant. And I hope whether Miley stays with you or whether he moves on uh, somewhere else, I hope he has a, a very happy life now. I, I will make absolutely sure of that. You can rest assured. Apologies to Miley for calling her a him at the end there. We have a link to Dee's site and you can contact her on Twitter. I think Miley's found a home, and a great one, for life with Dee. 
Hundreds of crossbreeds also take part in crufts through agility and flyball competitions and have their own kennel club organised scrufts competitions throughout the year. Animal Planet is developing a documentary about people who hoard animals. Here's some more information. How many pets is too many? Do you know somebody whose life is overwhelmed by their animals? Maybe we can help. We're looking for people to be in a new TV series about really large animal families. We can offer expert help, free resources, and the chance to tell their story. If you or someone you know owns a house full of animals, call us toll-free at 1-877-MY-8PETS. That's 1-877-MY-8PETS. Meanwhile, here in the UK, Sky One is working on a fantastic new series about pet behaviours and persistent medical conditions. The show features pet owners looking for a solution to awkward animal problems with advice from vets and pet behaviourists. Presented by Joanna Page of Gavin and Stacey fame, the show will feature correct animal care and training techniques. If you'd like to get in touch with the Tiger Aspect team, you can do so on 0207 5299 400 or by email pets at all that information can also be found on the Dogcast Radio site. I hope 2010 is going well for you and your dog. And until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121 2880922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at DogcastRadio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way, we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. A wife says to her husband one weekend morning, We've got such a clever dog. He brings in the daily newspaper every morning. Her husband replies, Well, lots of dogs can do that. The wife responded, But we've never subscribed to any.